Welcome to Bible Foundations program. It's a delight to have you with us again today. I'm Jerry Smythe, your host, and we're looking at God's judgment on the world in the story of the Great Flood. I should say rather the biblical record, the historical record of what actually happened when the whole earth was covered by water. It was a time of God's judgment. It was a time of God bringing to reality the things that he had promised. Now, the character of God is clearly displayed as we see him unfolded before our very eyes in the Genesis account of his creation, in his dealing with men and with women throughout time, beginning with Adam and Eve, and then on with Cain and Abel. And then now as we see the line of Seth coming on down through Enoch and down to the time of Noah, 1,500 years have passed since the time of Adam, 1,500 years and we have an account of what took place at that time. You say, well, the story of the flood is just a myth. No, my friend, there's record of a great flood in, in every culture in the world. It's there, my friend. It's one of those things that can be looked at historically through any method that you like, and you'll come back to the fact of the earth being once covered with water, and the biblical account is given by God himself, for he was there in Genesis chapter 6. This magnificent account of God's interaction with those who believed in him and his judgment on those who disbelieved, who refused to come to him his way, is an actual happening. And God came to the time where he said, I cannot stand this any longer. Time has gone out. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, he said, my spirit will not always strive with man, for that he is yet also he is also flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. God's time clock had been set at that point. And now we see the time ticking away as God gives his account of how he wants the ark to be built by Noah. Noah, too, was a sinner. Noah was one who did not deserve to have favor in the eyes of God. Noah did not deserve the grace that's promised him in the pa passage of Scripture that we've read today. Noah, too, was born outside of the garden. He was born separated from God, and he deserved, as well as every other man, man and woman, uh, to be punished for sin, for he was born a sinner as well. Verse 5 in chapter 6 tells us that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts and of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord. That is, it made him sorry that he had made man. Now, we've explained the word repentance in times fast as being a change of mind. But this is not the meaning in this particular case. In this particular case, we know by the context in which this word is used that it's God being sorry for the way that his creation had turned out. And he had a heavy heart over the way they had chosen to disobey him. And he was changing his heart attitude toward them in the respect to judgment, my friend. He was grieved over their sin. And God said, I'm sorry that I made man. And uh, God did not change his mind about sin. He had always had the same pattern of thought about sin. And he said he would judge it as we have seen up until this moment. Verse 7 gives a, a picture of God saying, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth and everything else with it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, he too was a sinner. 
The difference only between he and those around him who were disbelieving was that they did not believe the record that God had promised the Deliverer, and Noah believed the promise of the Deliverer. He believed that God would keep his promise. And so now we see that Noah is one who walked with God, who believed with God, believed God, who came with the sacrifice God's way, and he communed with God, and he taught his family as well. When we were together last time, we had just read together the uh, verses from chapter 6, verse 14 through 21, explaining that God had given the exact details of how the ark was to be made. Now, God is a planner. In verse 14, he says to Noah, Make thee an ark to, of gopher wood, and room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. In verse 15, God gave exactly the length of the ark and the height and the width of it. And there had been no boat ever built like this. And uh, certainly not where Noah was living. Uh, it wasn't common for them to have boats in that particular area. You see, they were far from the sea by the biblical record. And he tells them that a window shall be made in verse 16. And uh, that there should be one door in the ark. And that that one door was all that there would be. And there would be no other way into the ark except that. And that there were to be three stories in the ark. And God said that uh, he would bring the floodwaters on the earth and destroy. And that Adam was to bring the uh, various animals uh, into the ark before the flood was to come. We see here that man can only come to God according to God's will and plan. You see, God is a planner. And God planned and he knew how to build this ark. And he had Noah build it just the way that God wanted him to build it. You see, the boat had to be built just exactly as God told Noah. Noah had to follow God's instructions. And the ark had to be built according to God's plan. Now again, God didn't just say, Noah, I'm going to judge the world. Go do something about it. He just didn't leave it to him. You see, God instructed Noah in how to build it. And it was just like that time when God instructed Adam and Eve that their clothing was not acceptable, that their way was not acceptable, that they had to come God's way. Only God's way is acceptable, you see. Cain and Abel's offerings also had to be brought according to the way that God had said. And the ark, too, had to be built just exactly according to God's plan. Once again, God's everywhere all the time, and he knows all about everything. And he knew exactly, he knew exactly how to give the right instructions to Noah so that they would be safe in a boat of this size. Now, we don't know exactly what the ark looked like, but God did give a record with specific dimensions, which are meaningful to us today. Isn't it interesting that the dimensions that God gave Noah for the ark were proportional to the huge ocean-going carrier ships built in this century. You see, God created the universe, and God set up the laws that controlled flotation. God had no problem in creating a perfect design of a huge ship, and to our knowledge, no ships this large were built from the time of the ark until this century, until the 20th century. Now, these are the interesting details that remind us of God's great knowledge of all things and the truth that we find of him in the Bible. Now, some people question this story, but it's a historical record, my friend. It's a fact. It's what happened. It's written in the annals of time by God 
having inspired special men to write his word to tell us today exactly what took place. Now, it's an interesting thing as scientists have studied these uh, various perspectives that they find in the Bible, that they find uh, that the size of this ark was humongous. Let me just explain what Henry, Mor Henry Morris of the Genesis record uh, says about it. The total volumetric capacity of the ark was approximately 1,400,000 cubic feet, which is equal to the volumetric capacity of 522 standard livestock cars. That You see, in 522 standard livestock cars, you could put over 125,000 sheep. 125,000 sheep alone could be carried in the ark. That's how big it was. Henry Morse goes on to say that there might have been a total of uh, uh, 72,000 animals in the ark. And since the average size of land animals is surely less than that of a sheep, no more than 60% of the capacity of the boat would, would have been used for animals. Indeed, there were a few large animals, uh, probably uh, represented by the young, in fact. But you see, there was room in the ark because God designed it and he knew how big to build it. He knew how to compute how many animals would fit in there, and it happened. Some people ask, what about the dinosaurs? Well, yes, my friend, dinosaurs really did exist, and God created them. They were no doubt on the ark. Perhaps they were young animals. You see, dinosaurs, like lizards, uh, are, are lizards, in fact, and lizards continue to grow as they get older. It's apparent that the dinosaurs died out after the flood because of the global change in climate. You see, it's believed that prior to the flood, the earth was enveloped in a canopy of mist. There was no rain before the flood, you see. This canopy caused what is uh, referred to as the greenhouse effect, keeping the temperature and humidity stable over the whole earth. But after the flood, the vapor canopy no longer existed, and the temperatures varied greatly over the globe, and many species of animals probably died out as their habitat decreased. God knew how to create that big ship, my friends, and he knew how many animals would be, could be put in it, and he knew how much room was needed and how many stories, and he knew that food had to be on, be on it for not only Adam, I mean uh, Noah and uh, his family, but also for the animals, and he told Noah what to do. But when Noah built the ark, it's important that you and I understand that there was only one door in the side of the ark. There was only one way to get inside. Every person and every animal that was to be saved from this great disaster that was about to take place from God's judgment had to come into the ark by this one door. There is only one ark in which people could be saved from God's wrath. And there is only one door to enter the ark, my friend. It's an interesting thing that Noah believed God that Noah be believed God so thoroughly that he began to do what God wanted him to do. And in chapter 6, verse 22, we read, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Oh, my friend, that we might have hearts to do as God commands us, that we might know his ways. You see, Noah simply believed God. And now he's exercising the fruit of having a lifetime of believing God. He trusted 
in, uh, and depended on God to save him and to save his family from the flood, which God said he would surely send. Now remember, there had never been rain in the world before. Until this time, the world was watered by a mist which rose up from the ground. No one anywhere had ever seen rain. Nevertheless, Noah believed that God would not lie to him. He said, God said that he would send a flood, and Noah believed God. So he built the ark just the way God told him to. Because some people cannot see God or heaven or the place of punishment which God has prepared, they will not believe. Nevertheless, the Bible, what the, all that the Bible says is true. And that's what's neat about Noah. You see, Noah believed God. And even though Noah had never seen rain, he got on to doing what God had instructed him to do. Now let's look for a few moments in Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation of every clean beast thou shalt take unto thee by sevens the male and the fe and his female and of the beasts that are not clean by two the male and his female verse three of the fowls of the air by sevens and of male and the female to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth for yet seven days and i will cause it to rain upon the earth Forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now Noah had been busy warning all the people of God's coming judgment. In fact, as they were building along, I'm sure they had many characters that would come and ridicule them, for it had never rained. It had been; a, They were in a dry spot, and certainly something of this magnitude uh, was not understood by the people of their day. Besides that, they just simply didn't believe God. The people in Noah's time just did not accept God's word, which Noah spoke to them. They wouldn't agree with the Holy Spirit when he spoke in their minds and their hearts, reminding them of God's warnings. They refused to agree with God that they were wrong about their... Uh, about their sin, and they deserved the punishment that was about to come. You see, they would not trust in the promise of God to send a deliverer. They didn't believe that God would destroy the world with a great flood. Now, folks, God is loving and merciful and gracious, and God waited patiently for 120 years for the people to change their mind, but he would wait no longer. It was time for God to punish them. And God communicated with them. You see, he communicated with Noah. And before it started to rain, God told Noah now to take his family and the chosen animals into the finished boat. In chapter 6, verse 9, we had read that Noah walked with God. You see, he was in the habit of believing God and listening to what God had to say to him. He was in the habit of understanding that what God said was going to come to pass. And so he believed that God was going to destroy the whole world, just as he had said. He believed that he and his family could only be saved by God. And so he did what God said. You see, Noah, God didn't save Noah because of his good life. God saved him because Noah agreed with God and trusted in God. Man can only come to God 
according to God's will and plan. You can't come your own way, my friend. Noah had to come God's way, and that's precisely what he did. Verse 15 says, And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they went in and went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut them in. Now it's important for us to understand that going into the ark, that Noah and his family all went into the ark through the one door. There was only one door. They all went through the one door that God had told Noah to make. You see, this was the only way anyone could be saved from the flood and to be saved from God's wrath against sin. They all had to go in through the one door uh, of that God had told them to make in the ark. All the animals also came in into that great boat by the door, the only door. You see, that's the way they came in is through the one door. Then after they were all inside, God shut the door. There was only one door. There was only one way in. And when God saw that they were all in, God himself shut the door. Sometimes we overlook that little phrase in the last part of verse 16 in chapter 7 there. But my friend, it was the Lord himself that shut them in. And it's important for us to realize the details of what God is saying to us. Once again, God gives us the concentrate of his word, of his plan of redemption, right here in the book of Genesis. And he gives it to us in a concentrated form. And as we see and understand each phrase that God is expressing himself to us in, then we begin to understand the magnificence of what he's saying to us and what it really means as we go down through the ages of time. God himself shut Noah in as well as his family and all the animals were put in the place of safety when God shut them in and they were shut in to safety my friend that God had shut the door and they couldn't get out that was God's protection for them that was God's wonderful provision for them God had shut the door and God wasn't going to allow any more time for the other people now to change their mind you see, when God shut the door, it was too late. It was too late to change their mind. Even though it hadn't started raining yet, if anybody had re been ready to change their mind when the door was shut, that was it, my friend. God had shut the door, and God had made up his mind that the day of repentance was over. When God shut the door, it was simply too late. Even if they cried or pleaded on the outside of the door, they could not enter the ark, for God had shut the door. Noah could not let them in because God had shut them, shut them in and shut the others out. You see, when God shut the door, those outside of the ark had no way to be uh, saved. They had no way to be saved. Those inside the ark were safe because God had shut them in. And those outside of the boat had no way to escape God's anchor because God had shut them out. Now you'll remember when God put Adam and Eve out of the garden, away from the tree of life, there was no way for them to get back. No, not even one way for them to get back in. You see, when God decides it's time to punish the world, there is no escape from him. There is no escape at all from God when he decides that time has run out and it's time for him to 
punish the world. Now, when God had shut the door of the ark, he sent the rain. Let's read in verse 17 and read what happens. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. Then down in verse 23, and every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and creeping things and the fowl of heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were in the ark with him. There was a particular time in my missionary career as I served in Indonesia where we went from the town we were living to the major city of Jakarta and on the island of Java. And I remember going down in the basement of a great uh, department goods store. And in that basement hung a huge mural of the story that we're telling you about here, of the biblical account of Noah and the ark. And the picture was that uh, a couple of the peaks of the mountains were sticking up above the water as the rain poured down. And people were climbing onto the side of the ark, grasping with their fingers to get in. But my friend, the door was shut. It was too late. There was no way for them to get into the ark. They had had the opportunity to come and come in through the door if they had paid attention to Noah as he told them what God was going to do and what he thought of their uh, of their way of life. Noah had preached repentance unto them. He had given them the opportunity. The Holy Spirit had attempted to draw, but they continued to live their own way and go their own way. Oh, in that mural, I'll never forget the terror that was captured by the grasping fingers on the side of that great ship and the terror in the eyes of those people as they now were swimming for their lives, realizing that this had never happened before, but it had been promised for 120 years. God is the awesome power that we must realize and comprehend because he tells us about himself in, this, in the, his word, the Bible. God is supreme and sovereign, and he tells us that he has control over all the earth and the rain and the wind and the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else. And he made all these things, and he controls every single one of them. You see, there was so much water that was now poured out that it covered the whole earth, even the highest mountains. Skeptics may now ask, where did all that water come from? Well, do you remember what the world was like when God first made it? It was in darkness, and deep water was covering the whole earth. The only way to describe it is as a deluge. It's beyond what we know, even in the heaviest rainstorms that we might have today. Well, waters came from under the ground sources also. You see, originally waters and streams on the earth were probably fed by subterranean reservoirs and, and rivers of water. And God may have caused great earthquakes and volcanic eruptions to open the earth's crust so that these great fountains of water could, would gush out in accordance to his will and his plan and his word and uh, would rush out unto the earth's surfaces. My friend, God can do anything he desires to do. Nothing is impossible to him. He's the one that created it all in the first place out of nothing. He alone is almighty. He alone is supreme. He alone is the owner of all things. And all things are up to his decision as to what to do with it. He is sovereign, you see. And God made it rain for 40 days and nights until the whole earth was covered with water, even the highest mountains and trees. 
everyone outside of the ark was destroyed by God. All of the other people had refused to believe, and God destroyed them all. Only Noah and his family had believed God and had entered the ark. Now, my friend, God is patient with all men. God is patient, and he was patient in Noah's day, and he is patient now. Oh, do you see the character of God as he expresses his love and as he draws for 120 years and shows man that he's created that his way is the right way. And now he demonstrates it as he exercises his judgment. That was his prerogative, my friend. He is God. Now we've read this uh, past few days in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32, where God says, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. Wherefore, turn yourselves to live. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we read, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. This is referring back to those things that are locked in the heart of men described in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. You see, the Word of God gives us a picture into what our hearts are like today. And we're just like those three billion people that were on the earth before the flood. You see, we are sure that the, uh, verse 2 says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and thou doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? You see, the reason God waited 120 years from the time of his warning, from the time that Noah started to build the ark with the help of his sons and wife and daughters-in-law. And 120 years God was patient, but because of their hardness and impenitent heart, they treasured up to themselves against the day of wrath and revelation, against the righteous judgment of God, as we read there in verse 5. God keeps his word. He says, the soul that sinneth it shall die. And God has never broken his word yet. And that's the record that we must come to grips with. And folks, if that makes you tremble, it needs to make us all tremble before God. For you see, unless we come to God God's way, unless we enter the door that he provides into the ark of safety, then there is no way for forgiveness of sin. We, like all of those people on the earth in time and Noah, will die in judgment, separated from God eternally. Oh, my friend, the picture of eternal separation from God is one that should make us shudder. It should make us fall on our knees before a righteous and holy God, for he keeps his word. And here we see the evidence of that in his character. His very character is righteousness. His very character is perfection. His very character is that which will not allow sin in his presence, and he must judge sin. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, word, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, as it was before the flood, so it is now. God gives us the opportunity to agree with him about our sin, to come to him his way, come to him understanding that we cannot save ourselves, that he does not accept the do-it-yourself of going to your church or doing nice things or being a good person. You see, God says we're born sinners separated from him. And the difference between Noah and the rest of the world is the same difference between Cain and Abel. Cain, Cain did not believe God. Abel believed God. And God accepted his sacrifice and tried to teach Cain. But Cain was unrepentant. He insisted on going his own way and taught his family to go his own way, separated from God, and sin multiplied until the long-suffering of God had run out, and now was the day of judgment. You may ask why God didn't annihilate everyone. Well, the difference was that God had made a promise, and he keeps his promise. He promised to Adam and Eve a deliverer who would be the seed of the woman, the one that would enable mankind to overcome the power of sin and the evil delusions of Satan that he puts in our mind and the evil religions of the day. You see, Noah and his family believe God. How many people died outside of the ark? All of them, my friend. Something like three billion people. But God spared eight people in the ark with those animals. Eight believed God. That's all there were. And that's all that entered in the one door. And they were shut safely inside and the rest locked outside. 